Welcome back to Real Talk with Real People. My name is Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I am your host for this evening. And I have a special guest on the phone with me today. Her name is Miss Anita Russell. How are you doing today, Anita? I'm very well, Caroline. Thank you. Yes, it's so happy to have you. I'm, I know we've been trying to get this done for a while, and I'm so very happy that tonight is the night that we get to have a conversation. Yes. So how are you? I am doing very well. Uh, Lots of different things that are going on in my life. All of them are very good things. Um, Family is good. My practice is good. I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, so I'm very pleased with the place that God has me in at, at this point in my life. I am very pleased too. I'm going to tell my audience just a little bit about you from your bio, okay? And then we can talk candidly after that. So, Anita is a John Maxwell certified life coach. And she's going to tell us a little bit about that later uh, and and what that actually means, okay? She's an international best-selling author with career experience in multiple disciplines, including pharmaceutical, learning and development, and leadership. She is an uh, all-around jack-of-all-trades here, aren't you? Okay, she is the founder and creator of The Place to Soar, and that's a social enterprise dedicated to cultivating change through daily growth and personal development, and we like that. Um, The Soar concept Um, SOAR is an acronym for Step Out and Redesign, and it grew out of her decision to leave corporate America back in 2013. Um, The place to SOAR includes SOAR Coaching Academy, the SOAR Youth Empowerment Program, and the place to SOAR TV. Wonderful. So Anita coaches women. And she coaches men, and she coaches them towards becoming the person they aspire to be by examining the person that they are and deciding how to move towards living their best life. And that is why you are here today, because you have inspired me, and I know that you're going to inspire my audience tonight. So, Anita, let's talk. Yes, yes. I know there's a lot of stuff packed in that um, in that bio, and the reason, one of the reasons I do that, kind of really, because I want to paint like a very broad picture of where I am and what it is I do in my life, not for my purpose, but mm-hmm. to glorify God, because all of those things really grew out of uh, the the time uh, when I just made that decision. And it wasn't even me that made the, the decision to leave corporate America. It was actually God moving me from one assignment to another assignment. And it was a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, I was not completely prepared. But what I ended up doing was making a decision that God is moving me out. That means my safety net is gone. My, you know, everything about the way that I lived my life up until that point changed overnight. And I like to tell people that I left uh, corporate America um, on a Friday. It was February the 1st, 2013. And I woke up on Monday and was like, oh my gosh, what did you just do? I know. But at the, yes, but at the same time, I was very sure 
I was completely sure and completely had that trust that God intentionally moved me out. And so the beginning part of that was very shaky. And I thought when God moved me out of that position in that role, that he was putting me in one direction. And I found out a little bit through trial and error, because you know how sometimes we gotta figure God out, and sometimes we go in one direction when he really meant for us to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened to me. And what I did not realize is that God called me out of corporate America to be a life coach. I thought he called me out of corporate America to do some different things. Okay. That I, there were some other things that I was involved in at that time. I was building a business um, in the travel space, and I thought he pulled me out for that purpose. Mm -hmm. But then I found out that that wasn't what he pulled me out for. He pulled me out for the purpose of becoming a life coach. Now, how long did it take and, you to realize that, though? How how many uh, it, how many it, years went by? It took me a while. So I came out in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I took my first uh, coaching certification program in 2014. I think it was very late 2014 going into 2015. Mm -hmm. And you want to know the crazy thing about that whole thing is that as I was beginning to understand that God was moving me out of my corporate job, I, was, I had worked with someone. Um, I was sort of working in that learning and development space. And one of the external vendors that I worked with on a regular basis was actually an executive coach. And she used to tell me all the time, and we worked together quite a bit, and she used to tell me on multiple occasions, Anita, you're a life coach. Like I'm looking at you and I'm watching how you do your work, how you interact with people and all of that. You are in fact a life coach. So if you ever decide to leave this work, that's something that you should really consider. So these little seeds were kind of dropped along the way. Mm -hmm. However, I, at the time I didn't really know what a life coach was. I right. saw myself as a learning and development professional, this life coach thing. I have no idea what that is, but she said it to me on multiple times. And then there were other things that were kind of cropping up that were like, you should, and finally I just said, you know, you really should check out this life coach thing. So by that time, I was starting to do a little bit of exploration, a little bit of research to find out exactly what it was and what was it that she was seeing in me that made her believe that this was essentially my calling. And um, finally, I just decided to kind of go through a, a very immersive um certification program mainly for the purpose of seeing is this really something that number one I can do and number two that I um, would enjoy doing it so I found this program it was a weekend a very intense immersive weekend from Friday to Monday and I totally got it after I took that, that program, I completely got where this woman was coming from when she kept telling me that I was a life coach. And so that started me in a completely different direction. Um, I did that initial certification and I was just ready to go at that point, but I still had a lot of learning to do and I had to build, um, I had to really sit down and think about, well, how am I going to build this business? I don't really know anything about building this because I thought I was going to be 
in the network marketing industry and you know I have this travel business and blah 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 but that was just not coming together I mean it was as much it just was not coming together and then I found myself on this and as I was going through all of that the whole concept of the place to soar started to develop within me. As a matter of fact, when I initially left my job, my retirement, I had a retirement party and my retirement party, the theme of that retirement party was my redesigned life. Mm-hmm. And in your reading the bio, you see that the SOAR, S-O-A-R, is an acronym for step out and redesign. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like that was what I was doing. I am totally and completely redesigning my whole entire life. And so this concept of this sore thing just started, it just started uh, glowing, it started blossoming. And I got the TV show, and I got the TV show, The Place to Throw. You remember that, Carolyn? Yes. Because you were guest on my show. Yes, right? I was. Yes, I was. Yes. 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 And so that came into fruition. And this whole thing with, you know, the sore and redesigning your life and and all of that. And then I did the coaching uh, certification. And then once I did that, that kind of sealed the deal. And I pretty much knew at this point, okay, God is really calling you to do something different. You thought you were doing that. He's calling you to do something completely different. And when I look back over the course of my life, it's not really surprising that I do this kind of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't recognize that this is kind of what I was doing, but that was what I was doing. And a different instances, things that I did in my church, for example, I was always doing a workshop or always working with uh, the youth or, you know, just different things like that. And, you know, mentoring uh, people. I had friends of mine you know, and they always tell me, you are such a good mentor and you give me great advice. And so I was hearing both of these things for a very significant portion of my life, but I just didn't look at it in terms of that this would be my calling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just looked at it like this is just something that I'm doing. I'm in my church. I'm doing ministry in my church. I'm, you know, and all of that. And, you know, things that I did on my job and, and all of that. It just all literally started to come together and it came together and emerged as the place to soar and the soar coaching academy and of course the place to soar TV. So even though all of those things sound like they're all kind of like different from one another, but they are all intimately connected to what God has literally called me to do. Yes. Yes. Now, just for clarity's sakes, can you Mm -hmm. explain to our listening audience what exactly is a life coach? Because maybe we don't know we need one. Yes. Yes. So I want to start by saying what a life coach isn't. Okay. A life coach is not a mentor. A life coach is not an advisor. A life coach is not a therapist. A life coach is not a counselor. All of those different things that I mentioned play a specific kind of role with an individual. Mm -hmm. But being a life coach is a little bit different. And being a life coach, um, it's really about me helping an individual to begin to define who they are, what are those really, really great things about me, what are those things that I've experienced in my life, 
how do I see myself? Do I appreciate myself? And am I kind of living in this space that I really want to be in? So you have a lot of people out there, quite frankly, who are in positions uh, working, but at the same time that they're working, they have this other thing in the back of their mind that's kind of nagging them. You could call it a dream, you could call it um, passion, all of those different things, you could call it purpose, and sometimes there's a huge mismatch between what a person is actually doing um, for a living to generate, you know, to support themselves, mm-hmm. provide, um, but there's this other nagging, almost nagging thing that keeps saying, you should be thinking about doing this, or you should be thinking about doing that. And a lot of times people end up in this place where they feel like, I'm not living my best life. Okay, okay. I'm not utilizing my gifts. I'm not utilizing my talents. I'm not utilizing my spiritual gifts in a way that is going to help me to get to the place and the life that I really want to live. So that's why I say, you know, I kind of help people to dig through themselves mm-hmm. and draw their attention inward to discover what is on the inside of them and help them to become that person that they are truly aspiring to be. Sometimes that's a short conversation. Sometimes that's a longer conversation. And that's why I kind of link what I do as a life coach to growth and development, to personal growth and development, because you cannot grow and you cannot develop if you don't intimately know yourself, Mm -hmm. number one, and if you're not willing to take that personal accountability and responsibility. So it's not about me giving you solutions. You know, I'm in place A, but I want to be in place B, so I'm going to give you a strategy and I'm going to give you a solution. What I'm going to do is help you, is ask you a lot of questions. Life coaching is about asking a lot of questions, but those questions are intended to draw you inward, to really begin to explore what is going on in the inside of you and are there things on the inside that may be hindering you. Perhaps the way that you view yourself, um, perhaps it could be that self-talk. You know how we have that self-talk with one another? Mm -hmm. I mean, with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be those types of things. So it's all about, like, how do we sift through all of that to move those obstacles out of the way that may, in fact, be preventing you from moving forward? Mm -hmm. So... Like, if you think about a therapist, a therapist helps you to sort of understand your past and your traumas and, you know, different things like that um, that kind of explain where you are in your present. A life coach is more about where you are in your present. How do you get to where you want to be in your future? Okay. And you start doing that by examining what is on the inside. Okay. So I always make that very clear, um, especially when it comes to like the, um, when it comes to like drawing that line and understanding that I am not, I am not a therapist or a counselor. So if I'm, if I'm, uh, as a matter of fact, I had this happen to me very recently where uh, a young woman had reached out to me and, um, you know, we did like this 30 minute, just a quick consultation and everything. And when she starts to me- started to mention things like 
depression mm-hmm. or, you know, things along those lines that really fall more into that mental health, that's immediately a red flag for me. So that might be telling me that I, as a life coach, may not be what that individual is looking for or what it is that they actually need at this point in time. So it's about uh, partnering. I partner with my clients, um, walk them through some very thought-provoking and creative ways to engage themselves, inspire them to kind of maximize their personal, their professional uh, potential, and all of that to kind of get to where it is they want to be in their, in their lives. Okay. I can say that that would be one of your biggest challenges when you start to talk to somebody and then they start to go into an area that you don't, uh-huh. that you don't have, you know, the expertise in. So is that one of your biggest challenges? Yes. It is a challenge. However, um, I've actually, I'm actually a mental health first aid, a certified mental health first aid instructor. So I've been trained to kind of listen for certain things that people say that will give you an indication that there's something else underlying that might not necessarily. So that training actually helps me in terms of uh, going through the coaching process because I'm constantly aware of kind of where is that place that people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, um, like there's an organization called the International Coaching Federation, yes. and they have a, a core set of competencies um, that I follow. They have um, the code of ethics that I follow. And then they also have a, a set of guidelines for when you're starting to get to that place where you think you need to refer a client for therapy. So my whole thing is I want to be able to help an individual to really accomplish something powerful in their lives. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I have to be very conscious of drawing that line in terms of what my role is versus what a therapist or a counselor's role might be. Because the bottom line is, it's about the it's about the client. It's not about me, and it's not about me being you know like impressive, like I can do this for you. And I, it's not about any of that at all. Because if I cannot help you get from point A to point B or C or D through the coaching process, that says to me that there might be something else. And what I've also done is because of the sort of that mental health first aid connection, I have certain people that I know who are therapists, who are counselors and all of that. So I sort of have this little network of individuals that I can use as referrals. So if I'm talking with someone like the young lady that I mentioned and she says, uses the word depression or, you know, something else along that line that kind of falls more in the mental health area, mm-hmm. I have a group of uh, mental health professionals that I can, if necessary, I can have that conversation that says, you know, I don't think I'm the right person for you, but I have these incredible people over here that I think would be good for you to talk to. And then maybe she, she and I or he and I could come back to the coaching process once they kind of gotten to the place that they need to be from the mental health perspective okay i get it um are you are you accredited through iscf well so the the way it works is if i do a 
a, a certification program. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the program or the organization or that is accredited through ICF. Okay. So I, as an individual, am not, but the, um, you know, the services that I've gone through, um, they are accredited. And actually, the woman that had told me years ago, uh, when she kind of called it out, and she thought I was actually a life coach, that's one of the things that she told me, that if I decide to go that route, any program that I decide to take a look at or consider, that that's one of the things that I should um, be aware of, is that the ICF is kind of the golden standard. So if a program is accredited by them, then you know that's a good program. Okay, okay. So um, what are your favorite um, self-help books? Because in order to be a life coach, I would assume that you yourself have gone through the same process that you would be taking your clients through. And it's about self-help. It's how we help ourselves too. So what are some of your self-help procedures that you took yourself through to get yourself to the place where you are? Yes. And that's a really, really great question because one of the rules of the game is you're a coach, but you need a coach. <laughs> you need to be coached as well. Well, all so of that, us. That is really, really, that's a great uh, question. So um, I, I read all kinds of, of materials. Um, and a lot of what I do in terms of um, what I, most of the things that I'm currently reading are related to how do I get better at doing what it is in service to individuals? So one of the things that I uh, sort of adopted when I was putting my program uh, together and what is that process that I'm going to use is appreciative coaching. Now, people in your audience may have heard of appreciative inquiry and I've got a little bit of experience in appreciative inquiry. It's It's a tool, it's a process that I've used in the past. Mm-hmm. But there's a group of uh, women, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking out on the, the woman's name. Um, yeah, I'm kind of blanking out on the, uh, on the name. But she and a group of uh, other individuals got together, and they took a look at appreciative inquiry and said, this definitely applies to the coaching arena. And so they sort of took that concept, and there's a whole entire process involved with um, appreciative coaching and essentially what appreciative is the best way to kind of explain it is if you're in a in a job situation oftentimes whenever there are issues or there are problems or there are uh, we're not meeting our production targets we're not meeting our uh, performance targets Generally, what the process is, is that people will start to look at what's wrong Mm -hmm. and start trying to come up with solutions and, you know, new procedures, uh, change management and all of that because they're focused on, we have a problem, we need to find a solution. This isn't working, so we have to find a solution that's going to change that so that that now will work. The appreciative uh, approach is slightly different because the appreciative approach, instead of having people focus on what's not working, the focus is on what is working. And what are those things that represent those peak experiences? What are those things that represent 
what it looks like when we are as a team, as an organization, when we are operating at that peak performance, when we are operating at that peak production, what does that look like? What are those things that we are doing that are certainly really, really working? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of uh, going from a problem-based approach to a let's look at what is working and how do we develop those things that are working really well so that we can use those things to kind of create that um, that performance or that production that we're looking for. So that's kind of how appreciative, uh, that's kind of, if, if, if you if, if I'm making sense, that's kind of how appreciative inquiry works. So it's, it was kind of like a shift away from the old way of kind of looking at how do you make improvements. You don't just make improvements by looking at what's wrong. You also make improvements by looking at what's right. So it's the, okay. The, okay, go ahead. No, no, do you have a question? No, I was going to ask, is the, is the goal then to get the individual to see what they do best and, and then yes, try to work exactly. on that? Exactly. So let's take exactly what you just said and let's look at it on the coaching side. Okay. So, for example, I can, um, this is not a client that I had myself, but this is one of the, one of the things that I liked about the book, um, Appreciative Coaching, is that they use a lot of case studies with their actual clients and they walk you through the exact process that they use to get that client to the place where they want it to be. So I'll give you an example of a woman who sought a, um, uh, a client, and this was an individual who, I believe she worked in the real estate industry, mm-hmm. and she was phenomenal in her work. The people loved her, her clients loved her, her co-workers uh, loved her. She was fantastic at, at what she did for a living, right? Yeah. But... On the flip side of that, her personal life was in a shambles. Like she was behind on her taxes. I think in the story it said she was like three years behind on her taxes and just how she functioned functioned in her personal space at home and everything was very different from the way that she functioned in her job. Is that typical? That's not typical though. That's not typical, right? It can be. Um, it, it just depends. It just it just completely depends. Um, so I, I, I'm going to use depression as a as an example. So and, and I, then I'll come back to that individual. Even though, like I said, I'm not a mental health professional, but one of the things that depression can do um, to a person is so if you're unable to kind of do your uh, your your daily activities and you know your relationships are suffering and this is going on and that's going on that's kind of how depression can look but then I can speak from experience that when I dealt with depression I was more of a high functioning depressive and what that meant was I could go to work every day and I could do my job and my job never suffered but then when I got home and I'm talking more specifically before I had my children. When I would get home, that's when I would feel the depression that was there. And so 
people would look at me and say, oh, you know, you're great and you got this going on and all of that. But then underneath that, I was dealing with this depression in my personal life. And I'm not saying that this woman was dealing with depression in her personal life, but I think that's a way of showing how you could be on top of your game in your workspace and then in your personal space, you're suffering. So in her case, it was how she organized her life that was really suffering. And like I said, one of the key things is not doing her taxes and and her attitude was a little bit different because she kind of looked at, well, when I'm at work, I'm a professional. But when I'm at home, I'm more of a free spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a mismatch because now she's seeking coaching so that she can kind of stick to her personal life. And so one of the things that uh, we do, at least with this approach that I use with the um, appreciative coaching, is kind of going through the process of kind of listening to the person, asking uh, relevant questions and all of that, and helping that person get to a place where they can define what their specific coaching topic is going to be. And so with this particular individual, questions were asked and, you know, to help the uh, coach help the client dig deeper and deeper to kind of identify what are some of the things that are going on and all of that. And what her coaching, uh, I'm sorry, what, yeah, what her coaching topic ended up being was the coach challenged her to kind of look at her clients and talk about her clients why she does what she does when it comes to her clients, why she works as hard as she does when it comes to her clients. And so what her coaching topic ended up being was shift your mindset so that you begin to treat yourself as if you were one of your clients. So if you're working with yourself as if you're a client, that means all your stuff is gonna be uh, organized, your paperwork, All the things that you have to do to manage your life are going to be organized because now, instead of you just dealing with yourself as self, you're looking at yourself as if you were a client. And all that great work that you do on the client side, she was able to begin to transfer that over to the personal side. So that worked. And and it worked. Okay. It worked. But again, it was a process. And in the appreciative coaching, there are a number of phases that you go through. The first one is the discovery phase. And that's where the clients and the coach are really coming together, mainly for the purpose of understanding, uh, for the coach to really, it's for building that relationship, number one, but it's also for the coach to start honing in on what are those things that you do really, really well. And that was part of the conversation with this woman. So when you're working with your clients, what do you like best about yourself? What do you like best about how you communicate with your clients? What do you like best about when you take a client in to see a new home? What do you like about yourself when you're interacting with your client in, in just in general? And so all of those things that you like and appreciate about yourself How about if we start transferring that appreciation for those peak experiences into your personal life? So that's that discovery phase. And in that discovery phase is when you define what your coaching topic is going to be. So 
then you kind of continue around. There's the discovery phase. There's the design phase. There's four phases that you go through, and each one of those phases are very, very clearly defined as to what activities go go on in in in, in those different phases. And um, ultimately, the goal is to get to a place where the transformation is beginning to happen. And it's a very cyclical kind of thing. So once you get to sort of that place, that that destiny, and destiny is really about your dream, that way that you saw yourself in that dream actually becoming reality. And so you're kind of going through this process, you go through the discovery, and then you're kind of defining what you would like for your life to, oh, that's what it is, defining, what you would like for your life to look at. And then once you've got that definition in place, now you start designing. And you can think of designing as sort of, what are some of those goals that I want to set? But it's not not exactly the same thing as when you think of the, uh, sort of when you're in the business world and you're setting a goal and you set strategies and all of that. It's all really, really focused on you trying to get to this place the specific place that you want to be. And in the, um, the example that I'm giving, that specific place is I want to think of myself as a client and all of those things that I appreciate about who I am as a client, I want that to show up in my personal life. So it's like I said, there's this process. And when she kind of arrives in that place where she feels like, yes, I am now appreciating myself to the same extent that I appreciate my clients. That's her, that was her destiny in the sense that that was the place where she ultimately wanted to, wanted to be. And so you just start, you just continue that growth process. So, um, as I mentioned, the cycle can be iterative. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're with the coach every time you go through one of those cycles. Mm -hmm. But what it means is once you go through that cycle the first time and you begin to master it in terms of what that looks like for you, and then you can repeat that for other aspects of your life. Well, it sounds like you really enjoy doing the life coaching. and I do. It sounds, I can tell. But let's talk about you as an author. Yes, yes. And I like that too. <laughs> I, yeah, I know you do. Actually, that's how I met you at an author. Yes, um, yes. Yes, we were both at an author um I don't even, what was it, like a book signing or some sort of? Yeah, it was a book signing. It was, remember, because it was the um, the Talented Ten? Because she had ten of us there as okay. authors. And, yeah, it was, we were signing books. We yeah, were yeah. talking with one another and connecting. Yes, and all, yes. all that good stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, that was a great, that was a great time. Yeah, I think she wanted us to connect and get together and, and, and you yes. know, get to yes. know each other, which I'm, I'm glad she did because that's how I met you. But you have a yes. new, you have a new book out right now, right? You want to talk about your yes. book? Yeah, so, um... I've got multiple books that are out there, and I started off my authorship actually as a as a, a person who participates in anthologies, so I have a number of anthologies on the market, but one of the things that I always say is the anthologies I wrote, but the book that I'm getting ready to talk about, I birthed that book, okay. because that book is my life. That book is Anita, going all the way back to myself as a as a child, a very young child. The name of the book is I Want to See Lainey's House. And 
even when you look at the cover of that book, on the cover of the book, there's a picture of me as a five-year-old little girl. There's a picture of my sister as a three-year-old little girl. There's a picture of my mom on the cover as well. And then there's a picture of the house that we used to live in um, when my sister and I were at that age. And that cover almost, that cover sort of sets the entire tone for what the book is all about. If I had to just give like a quick synopsis, the book is really about a spiritual journey and it's about a mental wellness journey and me going from a broken little girl to how I like to define myself today as a liberated woman. And there's lots of things, lots of milestone things that happened to me along the way. And uh, many of those milestone things are directly related to God and how God literally showed up in my life. Mm-hmm. So tragic, um, my, my sister had a, uh, I lost my sister at, a, um, at those ages that I just spoke about. I was five, she was three, and she was killed. And I saw, I saw the whole thing and it, um, it put me in a place it put me in a place of depression. So I talked earlier about my experience with depression, right. but it put me in a place of depression as a five-year-old little girl. And being in that place, I was too young to express what I was feeling. I didn't have the language because I was just a little kid. Right, right, so I right. couldn't even express the pain that I was in. It was just there. I couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't fathom what, what was happening. And in my mind, like I, I woke up one day and then that same day when I went to bed, my sister was nowhere to be found. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't understand where she is. That was a really, really tough thing for me to, for me to kind of manage um, in my life and everything. But God showed up for me in a very powerful way. And when he showed up, he let me know two things. Number one, he let me know, and he showed up for me at my sister's funeral, right? So between the day that my sister died and my sister's funeral, for me, everything is black. Like I have this sensation, the day of the accident, I had this sensation that I was falling down this spiral staircase Mm-hmm. And I got to the bottom of the staircase and I was just in a place of blackness. I mean, I was just completely in a place of blackness. So for me, knowing what I know now as an adult, that that was that dark, the very dark space of depression that I was in at that time. And so depression sort of took on this, um, and now this, um, it became like this, a spiral staircase became like an allegory for depression for me mm-hmm. throughout the course of my life, right? But God showed up four or five days later when we had the funeral. And I was still in that place, but on the day of my funeral, of, of her funeral, God brought me out of that place. And he brought me out of that place by helping me to see that my sister was okay. She, he helped me to see that my sister was in his presence mm-hmm. and that she is now okay. And 
he also spoke into my spirit and said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Okay. And the crazy thing is, as a five-year-old, I knew nothing about scripture. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about um, Jesus, really, other than, you know, maybe the stories that I heard about in, 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 um, in Sunday school, because we did, like, go to Sunday school, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, we went to Sunday school, and that was basically it. You, you know what I'm saying? So, God literally showed up. And he showed me who he was through his love. So I'll, a lot of times I tell people, you know, um, you know, when you go through uh, life and you get saved and you generally, uh, most of us, not all of us, most of us get saved when we're kind of older and, you know, we start to kind of put things together and, and all of that. And you're, you know, starting to get to know God and learning scripture and, you know, uh, verses and, and all of that you're understanding the scope of the Bible I didn't have any of that mm-hmm. I came to God based 100% on that experience of me um, of, of God showing up at my sister's funeral and so that built a foundation for me that carried throughout the course of my life mm-hmm. and that depression turned into grief and or the grief turned into depression like full-blown depression but I was just a little kid so the way that that showed up for me when I was very young is that I became very quiet and even now when people um because I've relocated back to Pittsburgh so now I spend a lot more time around people that I grew up with and I lived in a town where you know, the, the kids that were in kindergarten together are the same kids that graduated from high school together. And we spent all of those years just kind of growing together. And oftentimes people say, oh, yeah, you were all two things that they usually say about me. You were really, really smart and you were quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like old, some of my old teachers, I ran into a, a teacher and he said the same thing. You were always very quiet and all of that. But what people didn't know and what I didn't even understand myself is that that quietness is because I kind of drew myself inward because I had this depression that I was dealing with and I had this grief, like the grief was uh, pretty much overwhelming um, at times. And I didn't really talk a lot to people. Sometimes it was very difficult for me to kind of connect to people. Like I remember my mom, when we uh, moved to the town that I grew up in and she put me in the, um, in the community center it was myself and my, my brother. I had a brother, but my brother was a baby at the time of the accident. And she put me in a community center, and I did not like being there. I just didn't like, because there were only certain people that I would connect to. Mm-hmm. And when I connected to those people, those were the people that I would open up, that I would more likely to open up to. I mean, all of this started to change as I got older and, you know, older, but I had to also pass through those adolescent years and those teenage years, and we had difficulties in my home. Um, I experienced um, domestic violence as a, as a little kid. Um, you know, so there was, you know, molestation. There, there were just these different things that happened to me when I was very, very young. So by the time I got to be a teen, I was just kind of really messed up on the inside. And I had, um, oftentimes when I have thoughts of suicide, I, I did the cutting and all of that. But, Caroline, the thing that saved my life, honestly, the thing that saved my life 
is the fact that every time I was in that bathroom and I had that knife, mm-hmm. guess what came into my mind? What? What came into my mind was images of me and my sister playing in those happy days before she was gone. And that would always pull me back. And I could put the knife down and I could, I mean, it literally would pull me back. And it was almost, it wasn't, sometimes it felt like it wasn't even something that I was just seeing in my mind. Like I was literally having a vision of my sister and I playing Mm -hmm. together. And that would always bring me out of that space. And then I could kind of get on and, you know, all of that started to change. Um, And then I had like other things that were going on. Um, So all of this along the way, God is developing me spiritually. Um, But that's not to say that I always did everything right. You know how we are. We make wrong decisions and and all of that. Um, But I always knew that God was just there. Mm -hmm. He, He was just there. And um, so that was always very amazing. Things changed for me dramatically when I got to college. The um, the cutting was gone. Um, I didn't have the suicidal thoughts as, as much, but there was still the grief, and I still dealt uh, to a certain extent with the depression. But it just didn't, it no longer manifested itself in suicidal thoughts, and it didn't manifest itself anymore in terms of the cutting and all of that. But there were still other things, you know. I grew up not really knowing my father, and I always struggled with the fact that I didn't know my father. And I was one of those people that, if I was had if I had been adopted, I would have been the person like scouring through records and research because I need to find my birth mother. Mm-hmm. That would have been me um, because that's how I felt about my father. I didn't know a lot about my father, but then all of that changed in my freshman year when I got to know my grandmother. Okay. And when I got to know my grandmother, this is my grandmother on my on the paternal side of my family. And what was interesting is that my grandmother, when she had heard, because there, there was a, a, a disconnect between uh, my mother and that side of my family. So that's how I, I never really interacted much with them as I was growing up. And um, But when my sister got killed, my grandmother thought it was me. And so for a long time, she thought it was me that, you know, that that had happened to. But then once I got connected to her in freshman year, it opened up a whole other level of who Anita is. And so what I said earlier about this being a spiritual journey, but it was also a mental wellness journey because it each, the book is divided into five um, chapters. The first chapter is Little Girl. The second chapter is Awakening Adolescent. The third chapter is Nurturing uh, nurturing Young Adult. And then um, Evolution of a Grown Woman. And then Yearnings of a Liberated Woman. And so each one of those chapters represents this progression. This steady progression along the course of my life to get to a much better place. So, you know, I met my grandmother, all of that had, you know, I had children, I had two daughters. When my children were small, I'm, I'm in my 40s now. When my children were small, 
we lived in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I left Pittsburgh in 1988 after I you know, went to college and all of that, worked for a while, and then I left Pittsburgh, which is how I ended up in New Jersey, right? So I'm, I lived in New Jersey. I had my first daughter already. My second daughter was born in New Jersey. We were living in Trenton. And I was outside. We lived on a, a really nice street in the Trenton area. And um, it was one of those kind of streets where kids could play outside and they could play in the street. And then they just kind of move out of the way when the cars come because most of the people that came on our street were people that actually lived there right. or they were visiting. So it was one of those kind of, it was a dead end street. So it was kind of one of those tucked away streets. So mm -hmm. kids could play out in front of the houses. They, you know, the jump rope and all of that in the street. And so my kids were out there one day playing with some other neighborhood children. And Caroline, I got this vision as I'm watching my children, I got a vision of myself and my sister when mm -hmm. we were little because we were outside. We were playing in the front of our house when the accident happened, right? Right. And I'm standing there and I'm looking. I know that those are my children right there. Mm -hmm. But what I'm seeing, so it was like what I'm seeing in the present, but then my mind's eye from the past was allowing me to see my sister, and so I was literally seeing my, my myself and my sister through my two daughters as I'm watching them and they're playing, and Caroline, like a bolt of lightning, it just hit me. So that, no that was your inspiration for writing the book? It was your fault. What? Pardon? Uh, I was thinking that was your inspiration for writing the book. Part of it. Okay. That was part of it, but I didn't really start working on the book until after I I started thinking about the book, um, like around the time when I was coming out of corporate America. Okay. But I started writing the book after, like, in 2014, going into yeah, it was like 20, late 2014, going into 2015, and I started actually writing the book after my first. Um, after I did the first anthology. But the thing that, the, so this was, that that was a milestone piece for me when I had that vision because what clicked inside of me was that you've been carrying all this guilt around. Now look at your children out there. There's no way that you could have stopped the accident. You were five years old. There's no way you could have prevented the accident. It was not your fault. And so all of that guilt and everything, I was able to look at that guilt and look at that grief that I was carrying around in my body and look at that depression that I was carrying around in my body. And it came, and I was able to come to the realization that I needed counseling because I needed to face all of that. And my making that step to face all of that, I got the counseling. That was the very first step towards me even being able to think about writing the book because that was the first time I ever talked about that day and that accident. Like people who knew me knew that I had a sister when I was very young, but they didn't know the details because I would never talk about it. And I would never talk about that thing of how God showed up at the funeral because it was a point in my life where I just thought, you know, if you go around telling people that, you know, what you experience, that your people are going to just think you're crazy. 
So I never talked about it. I couldn't understand it. I, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't until I got older and I began to understand a little bit more about how God works and some of the ways that he will interact with people. One of the ways that he interacts with me sometimes is through these visions. But I didn't know that as a five-year-old, you know? But did you get an opportunity um, to talk to your mom about how you were feeling? I did. Oh, my God. That's another really, really great question. So I started working on the book. I'm working on it, working on it. I had some stops and starts. Um, just had some moments where I, I just wasn't able to think my way through, you know, how, whether structuring or whatever. Um, but then in 2017... It's when I had set a goal for myself, actually in 2016, roughly in that time period, that I was going to have the book done in 2017, right? I was just like, you know, you've been working on this book forever, and you need to just, you know, you just need to get it together. So I was looking at it from the standpoint that I was just procrastinating. And then I was let, maybe I was letting my emotions get in the way and, you know, all of that. And that's why I wasn't able to kind of, you know, pull it all together and all of that. But then in 2017 is when my mom, my mom uh, uh, became very ill. Actually, my mom became, my mom was diagnosed as um, stage four metastasized breast cancer in 2014, a year after I came out of corporate America. But my mom didn't tell us that. Myself, and I have two brothers, my mom didn't tell us that, that that she had that diagnosis. Like we knew she had, my mother had originally had breast cancer in the 80s, mm-hmm. but she beat it. She beat it, but it turns out that there's a particular gene that can be, um, that it, somehow it can go dormant. Like you can, you know, she beat the, the, the cancer, but because it was associated with this particular gene, I forgot the name of the gene, mm-hmm. HER2 maybe, I, I, I'm, I'm not absolutely sure. Um, but because she had that particular gene and that particular gene, um, it can lie dormant for years. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes out of that dormancy, it basically comes out with a vengeance and it just really starts to spread. And you know, so she had gone through chemotherapy and all of this. We, we we didn't know that that was everything that was going on. Like one of the things that she had to have is because the cancer um, invaded her mostly in her abdominal area, mm-hmm. and she had to have a she had to have a hysterectomy. And she told us that she had to have a hyster- hysterectomy, but she didn't tell us it was because of the cancer. Right, right. So you know, we knew that you know she had these things, and my mom. You know, had always had stomach ulcers and just different things like that, and so it just it just wasn't on my radar screen. It wasn't on our radar screen that she was that ill. So then, in 2017, is when we realized that there was some you know that she's really getting ill here, and so I came home. I came home to Pittsburgh around July. No, I, I was here. Initially, a little bit earlier than that. I want to say like maybe June. Uh, my grandson and I came. We spent some time with my mom, and that was when I began to see that there's something else. There's something else going on here. And so, you know, I took my grandson back, and you know, finished up some business in New Jersey, and then I just came back to Pittsburgh. And um, 
when I came back to Pittsburgh, that's when, like, and my brother came from California, and we were all here, and we're just trying to make heads or tails, like, what is going on here? What is going on with our mother? Now, the, her, um, um, the, the guy that was, like, the head of her medical team, he's the main one that we were talking to, and she assumed that we knew what that what that diagnosis was and so i mean there were like that very first conversation we had with him we all had these very perplexed looks on our faces because we're like what are you talking about what you know he was describing this and describing that and we were just like what are you talking about and then that's when he told us that you know what her diagnosis was back in 2013 so i'm so yeah no back in 2014 so what I didn't realize is that when we came, my mother was in end of life. We just didn't know that. We just didn't understand that that was what was that that was what was going on. And you know, once you know, we started uh, just we were here and we're, you know we're interacting with our mother, and our mother started talking to us about things that she had never talked about. And um, my mother essentially told us that God was calling her home. We just couldn't hear that that's what she was saying. If you can understand what, what, what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. We, she didn't say it in exactly those words, but she knew within herself yeah. that, yeah. you know, because she was saying things like, I've made my peace with God, and, um, and, and, and then she started sharing stuff with us. Like, we would sit there sometimes just for an hour, a couple of hours, and we taped, we, you know, taped on our phone, we recorded everything. And um, one of the things that my mother said in one of those conversations, um, if you remember in the, I think it's in the book of Matthew, when Jesus is talking about, I've gone to prepare a place and where I'm going, there's many mansions and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. My mother said something that did two things for me. Number one, it made me think of that scripture. And number one, she called out the title of my book. Up until that point, I was writing, 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 but I didn't have the title. I wasn't quite sure what the title was, you know, and I was just going back and forth. But what my mother said was, and this was in that conversation when she was saying how she's made peace with God. I've made my peace with God. And then she started calling out different people that had already gone home. Mm-hmm. That were mm-hmm. already, you know, passed on. And she, the, the first thing she said was, I want to see Lainey's house. That is exactly wow. what she said. I want to see Lainey's house. And then she talked about, I want to see Daddy's house, and I want to see Maxine. And she was just calling out all these people, these family members who had gone on before her. But as soon as she said, I want to see Lainey's house, I knew that that was the title of the book. Now, is that your sister's name? Pardon? Is that your sister's name, Lainey? Lainey, exactly. Okay. That was her, that's her name. And like I said, my one of the other things in, in that, that whole lady conversation, if you will, is that my mother and I, you, you have to understand, my mother and I never talked about my sister's death. Okay. And I, I mean that. We never talked about my sister's death. But we talked about it that day. And she talked about what that day looked like for her. Mm-hmm. 
And number one, the things that she said validated all of my memories. I mean, she completely validated my memories. Even the memories of the house, how the house was set up with the living room, and then you go in the next room and there was these steps, you go up and it was like a, the kitchen was on a higher level. That was exactly how I saw it and that's exactly how my mother described it. And she would say things to me like, yeah, you remember how that, remember there were those steps, we, and everything that she said, I, I could fully and completely remember all of that which was really gratifying for me because that validated and that meant that a lot of stuff that I was that I was had already written in the book she validated at least from that standpoint in terms of the accident and all that sort of thing that my mother really validated a lot of that for me um and then like I said she proceeded to explain what that day looked like for her and in her explaining that it helped me to get a better handle on my mother and the grief that she carried in her body. And her grief was much more related to the fact that she had a premonition that somebody was going to die that day. And when she said that, it, it, it totally and completely blew me away. And she was very, upset when she was saying it so this wasn't something that she was you know she wasn't just making this up and that she you know had this sense that something you know something tragic was going to happen she had no idea who or anything like that but it was just something in her spirit and her guilt lied lay in the fact that in her mind all i had to do was tell the the kids to come in the house like she she kept saying that over and over as she was um as she was sharing this um you know this memory and she kept saying anita all i had to do was tell you to come in the house and i didn't do it i ignored the feeling and i i i, I didn't and she and you know she said i'm the one that carried the guilt all of these years because i could have now this is how she saw it. I could have prevented, I could have prevented that accident. So, you know, as you can imagine at, at this point, we're like in the nurse, my mom was in the nursing home at this point and we were all, my brother and I were like sitting at, on the side of her bed and you know, we're all just weeping um, as we, you know, are receiving um, all of this stuff and everything. So those were some very powerful, moments and I think in those moments it it kind of brought me and my mom to a place of peace um yeah it, it kind of brought both of both of us to a place of peace and and all of that um so then you know we after that we just kind of went through you know and, and I did lose my mom on uh, September the 13th I is when I lost her and um but after that is when I was really able to get, because now I had more clarity and I got words from my mom that I did include in the book. So when I was calling myself, when I was like bashing myself and telling myself, oh, you, you know, you're just procrastinating, you're not, you need to focus on writing this book, God knew, he knew that there were some other things that needed to be included in the book. And had I finished that book in 2017, because my goal at that time was to have it done by my birthday, which is in April. Had I finished that 
half of the last chapter in that book wouldn't even exist because so much of it is connected to that experience with losing my mom wow. and her, you know, us being able to talk about what that day actually looked like for us and, you know, her sharing what it looked like for her and just different things like that. Like the story would have really been incomplete. And so God in his infinite wisdom, there were things that, uh, you know, like I'm going along and, oh yeah, I gotta get this done. Oh wait, I'm supposed to be writing. And so, but again, I was just beating myself up because I just thought I was just procrastinating, but it wasn't really procrastination at all. Um, because once, like I said, once I got through that experience, I was able to, was really able to write. So it still took me about a year from that point. It still took, because after my mom passed and now um, I had to go through that, that state. I was in a state of just feeling lost. Mm. And, you know, like the night when I came home and we were in my mom's house, I, I was just lost. I, I can't even describe it any other kind of way. I was lost. And probably I was in that state through, um, yeah, like for months after that um and then but I started writing I did start writing and then the almost the last day in 2018 is when I finally submitted the manuscript and it was such a glorious day that I finally finished that so if you recall in the beginning of this conversation I talked about the anthologies that I've done and I said that those are books that I had written Right, right. But this book I gave birth to. Yes, yes. And the seed for this book was planted all the way back when I was just a five-year-old kid. That's why it's about spiritual growth. It's my journey of spiritual growth, but it's also my journey towards mental wellness. Because I feel so liberated now. And I mean, look, I can talk about this stuff. I'm not weeping. Um, you know what I mean? So I do, I, I, I do. I, I do. Really, so that's a, a mental wellness milestone for me was finishing that book. So tell us, how could we purchase the book? Well, the best way to purchase the book is to go to my website because I actually have, um, um, if you just go to uh, theplacetosoar.com, that's kind of my hub. And then from there, you can uh, link over to author blog. And that uh, when you click, click on that author blog link, it takes you directly to um, the, my blog where I talk about the book and all the other books. And you can order the book under... Because the reason I tell people to do that is because I have books myself that people can order the book directly from me and one of the main reasons I like when people do that is because I can sign the book and I like being able to sign the book for people um you know because that that book has so much meaning for me and when I sign it for them it gives them a a different sense of meaning as well so the book can definitely be purchased through my website I want to see um I'm sorry um um, the place to store.com. But I also have I want to see Laney's house.com. You can go there as well. So, okay. and then also it's available on Amazon. But like I said, the disadvantage of ordering it from Amazon or anywhere else online is that you can't get a signed copy. 
Um, I get it. Now, um, do you have anything upcoming um, as we get to the end of this um, podcast? Because, you know, we've already reached our hour. But do you have anything upcoming? Any book signings coming up? Any appearances coming up? Any Anything that you want to share with us uh, real quick about? Yeah, actually, at this point, I don't. But um, for the past couple of weeks, I have been uh, traveling, and I actually had the opportunity to. Um, I recently became a member of the of an organization called Asala, and it's the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And once I got connected to them, they invited me in to do a, a talk at the uh, at the Pittsburgh branch here. But then I also got to go to their, I think it was their 104th uh, anniversary, uh, their 104th uh, conference, annual conference in Charleston, um, Charleston, South Carolina. And that was such a treat for me. That was in the beginning. It was earlier this month that I did, that I was able to go. And I was featured as one of the, um, they had a, a author book signing and I was one of the authors that was featured there. So I, that was such a high point for me it's an amazing organization and the fact that I was there just that was a high point for me um so I just came back from you know doing some stuff and um right now I don't have anything in the immediate uh, future Mm -hmm. but I certainly will and can let you know when whenever I do and you know my the coaching academy is, is there people can kind of go on there get a little bit more information about um, some of the things that I talked about earlier with my coaching practice yes absolutely and if they just want to get to know me Anita Russell the place to store is definitely the place store.com is definitely the place to go okay so. And I will um, share all that information on um, the page as well. But Anita, I, I want to just really personally thank you for um, really being so deep and so honest with your conversation. And I'm sure that what you had to say is going to help a lot of people who may have been experiencing something similar. Or um, sometimes you think that you're the only person who is going through certain things and you find out that you're not um like your experiences with god when you were younger i have a similar experience it's not exactly you know like yours but um there's there's a lot of individuals who i do believe will be able to benefit from what you said now as a life coach how can they reach you as well the same information that you gave me Okay. And any other website that I have, you can get to them from the place to soar dot com. If I could just make one more, uh, just a final comment. Absolutely. Uh, it's kind of connected to some to some of the things that you just said. What I've learned in this experience is that even from a broader uh, perspective, I think we're kind of in a place now from a humanistic humanity perspective. Mm-hmm. Where telling your story is so important because your 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 story becomes it's, it's like your story enables you to be a witness to so many different things, and I think we're also in a place where we need truth. Yes, yes. We need truth, and when people get to that point where they're able to tell their story as a witness to the truth, that's powerful. 
Yes, I agree. It's very powerful. And so that's just kind of the last thing that I wanted to leave with your audience is, yeah, tell your story. Tell your truth. Tell your truth. Yes, because you never know how that truth is going to help someone. You never know. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, again, this is uh, Dr. Caroline Vathia Jones, and you have been listening to Anita Russell. She's my guest for this evening. And um, I'll be back with you again for another episode.